Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eugene, Oregon. Day six of the 2022 World Athletics Championships is in the books, and we are going to recap it. Nora Gerudo of Kazakhstan is the world champion in the women's steeplechase. Wakua Jigadachu of Ethiopia, Silva Mekides Abebe of Ethiopia gets the bronze. Three women sub nine in the steeplechase for the first time in history, championship record. Not a great night for the Americans, though. No medals for Courtney Furyk, Courtney Wayman, or Emma Coburn. In general, not an amazing night for American distance running. None of the four entrants in the men's 800 meters advanced even out of the semifinals. And this is a country that had four athletes in the, sorry, three athletes in the final in 2019, including the world champion Donovan Brazier. But the 5K women did redeem themselves somewhat. We had all three advanced to the final, Emily Infeld, Carissa Schweizer and Elise Cranny. We're going to dive into week two, day six from Eugene. And then at the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about the meet as a whole, our big takeaways, the biggest storylines, what we've learned from having boots on the ground in Eugene. This is going to serve, you know, as our regular weekly podcast. But yeah. you've, if you haven't been listening to our daily podcast, you've been, lit, listen, you've been missing out because... We've been having a great time. We've had lots of reader f- listeners, even listening live, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. on the East Coast. People are staying up and listening to it. And to get those in your podcast feed, you've got to be a member of the Let'sRun.com Supporters Club, which you can join by going to Let'sRun.com slash subscribe. We go in-depth on every distance final, everything that happens at Worlds. It's been a lot of fun. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm going to be joined here by Robin and Weldon Johnson on the East Coast. Guys, Looking forward to another big night of track and field to talk with you. John, super pumped to be here. Glad to have Weldon back. Those, I guess not everyone's been listening every night, which is hard to believe. Join the Supporters Club, people. If you're not a member, that's on you. I mean, I can lead a horse to a water. I can't make them drink. I can tell Jakob Ingebrigtsen how to run the 1500 final. I can't make him do it. But this is peakletsrun.com. What a week for us, folks. Today, NBC Sports, quote, the most prominent run, running site in the country. I might let me referring to my Devin Allen article last week, New York Times, Weldon Johnson, of the one of the once one of the top distance runners in the country and the co-founder of Let's Run, the influential running website that serves as something of a super ego for American running. And then Yaka Mingenbrinson, folks, if you haven't heard, in the mix zone just a few days ago, said, Hey, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. You think different, sir. I do think different. I just can't get him to listen to me. He agreed with Jonathan Galt, and that's why he's got a silver medal, not a gold medal. But been a fun world so far. I've finally gotten some some sleep. So those of you who didn't know, I was in Eugene for the first half, came back, had to come back a day early because my wife got sick. Weldon's daughter's been in the hospital. She's doing better. Weldon, are you actually going to make it out to Worlds? For those of you watching the show, John, where are you? I'm at Hayward Field, as you guys can see here with the background. John, where are you? I'm about a 20-minute walk from Haywood Field in the hills above Eugene. I, it's weird. I haven't seen you all week, Weldon. So where have you been hiding? Have you been sitting Oops. in Phil Knight's private box? Oh, 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 he's actually back home. Let me get rid of the virtual background. I'm in my house. First night and two nights not in the hospital. It's a good thing my daughter's doing much better. I was given – I need the ruling from Let's Run Nation on this. 
I was given permission by my wife, permission, you know, we discussed it, we came to a mutually agreeable conclusion that I could fly out tomorrow. But my, and the expectation is my daughter will be released from the hospital tomorrow, but it's not a guarantee. And then I'm just like, no, I don't feel comfortable leaving until she's out. But John, I didn't know what events were tomorrow. I just checked, saw a bunch of distance races, and I'm like, it's just best I don't go. I'm missing not only the media 800, which would be saving embarrassment, so that would be a good thing, but I'm missing the men's and women's 200 meters. The matchup of the world tomorrow night, Arian Knighton versus Noah Lyles. So the plan, I will be there for the last three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We got to make up. The Let's Run meetup was canceled because Robert had to go back a day early. The one day we were going to meet up, nobody was there. So, or John was there, but I'm looking forward to it, John. Yeah, looking and, forward to having you out here. Glad that your daughter is doing well. I am sad that you're going to miss that 200, though, because those semifinals we had yesterday were fast. It's going to be a great final, but yeah, we've, we'll, we've got some good finals left in store in the last three days as well. And thanks to everyone who signed up for the Supporters Club. It's been great all week. It's, it's people, you can still do it. You save 20% on running shoes. You sign up for one month, you'll make money on the subscription. You buy one pair of running shoes, you save 30 bucks. You pay us 10. It works out well. And Robert didn't do it justice. I have the clip from Jakob here. Jakob Ingerbrutsen, podcast listener. Here it is. He's expressed affinity for one of the hosts here. And it's not Rojo. You have a lot of... Uh... I guess your opinions are very different. I've seen a couple of your uh, your uh, podcasts. I agree mostly with him. Oh, you wow. <laughs> that was Jacob Ingerberson saying, gesturing to Jonathan Galt there in the mix zone. Jonathan couldn't even acknowledge this. He's being a professional, interviewing other athletes. John, congratulations. Yeah, I had my ego stroked already about this on the Supporters Club podcast, so it doesn't need to happen again, but... I'm just glad that Jakob's a listener and he has some opinions on our podcast. John, you should have said you had your super ego stroked there. Well, the, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, I don't, we don't need to get into the Freud, but I've always thought of Let's Run as more of the id of the track and field internet. Certainly Rojo. I don't know if there's anything super ego about but, Rojo. He's but John, super, a very id-driven individual. Super ego means the conscience, right? Like the morality? Yeah, I guess in that respect, yes. But I always viewed like super ego as kind of like the lame parents who are making you do all the things you're supposed to do. And but the eight is just like you're in a child that wants to do whatever it wants all the time. And when I think which one of those two do I associate more with let's run? It's the it. But John, we're the only ones who stand up males in one category, females in the other category. Okay, I don't want to go there. Drug one. suspensions, that sort of stuff. Well, wait, Robert, don't you want to go there? I feel like it. <laughs> we had an incident tonight. The women's well, steeplechase we'll, we'll final. We'll get there in a minute, but we're, we're just doing it. We're doing the intro. We're doing the intro, but okay. You know, I I think that. Well, I guess we'll do picture, do big picture. We can talk men's fifteen hundred later. We need to do today's action and then go back, right? But that fifteen hundred, I mean, people said they couldn't predict it. I'm a big Warholm fan, but I told him how to run it. He didn't listen to me. Ingebrigtsen, the guy. Excuse me, Ingebrigtsen. And the guy that wins it, no one had predicted him to win, except for yours truly. On the prediction contest, it's a proven fact. You can go to the Koros prediction contest scoring on the homepage. Check, click on Rojo. Type, Act like you're Rojo. Type in Rojo. You'll see my picks. I picked Jake Whiteman. 
I don't know why, because when I got to Eugene after the 15 first round of the 1500, I was like, man. But I was very worried about him being vulnerable in that kick. We'll talk about that later. Let's talk about tonight. The steeple goes off, and this kind of reminded me. I thought it was gonna. I, I thought this was gonna be very much like the women's fifteen hundred. We know he's gonna get first, and we know he's gonna get second, and that's not what happened. We ended up having a historically fast race, and heading into the final water jump, there was four women right there. Any of the four could win, and Nora Gerudo, the woman who's waited really her whole life for this moment barred from the olympics last year when she was the best steeplechaser on the planet because she was switching from Kenya to kazakhstan has never appeared in the global stage before well the world youth championships in 2011 so in some ways you could say 11 years she's waited for this hasn't competed in any sort of international competition since i think 2016 african champs but she Leads this thing like we thought. She's leading it, but she doesn't break anybody. And there's four women heading into the final water jump, and they're, and they're running historically fast. This ended up being the, the first race with three women under nine, and there really would have been four. And Yenford, Winford Yavi, John, pulls up on the outside and was going to make a move. It looked like she was trying to pass Gerudo. And it looked like, to me, she got too close to the water jump and then had to pop up it, kind of like Grant Hallway in those the final hurdles. Gets too close and goes up, and then when she came down, she landed on both feet, and that was it for her. So she goes to, from basically tied for first to fourth, doesn't win it. And then I guess the beneficiaries are the two Ethiopians. Um, Rukahu Gadachu. This is a woman who came out of nowhere last year. Age 25, has no results on, on the results databases. Runs the fastest 800 in Ethiopian history, 156. Does not run the Olympics. And then comes into worlds here moves up to the steeplechase has a 907 pb now is 854 61 so the fastest ever for the ethiopian women at 800 also the fastest ever in the steeplechase she gets the second the silver and then 20 year old mccabot mckittis abebe is this woman going to be the future of the event fourth in the olympics last year she moves up one spot to third 856 and there was a couple national records farther back albania Louisa Gega, 9-10. Great Britain. Amy Pratt, I think that's her second national record of these championships, 9-15-64. But the Americans, our streak of meddling ends at, what, 16-17-19. Three global, 21. Four global championships in a row. As Courtney Fyricks kind of was off the pace, moved up to sixth in 9-10. Emma Cobra went with it fast. You would think it was a 257 first K. She was there. Bates to eighth, 9-16. Courtney Wayman, 12th, 9-22. Okay, a couple of things here. It's Courtney Frerichs. I've told you this before. It's also Kazakhstan. It's not Kazakhstan. That's not a country. We need to get that straight and get used to it because Nora Gerudo is going to be around for a while. But Robert, did, you did nail this. Like, Nora Gerudo did what everyone thought she was going to do. 8.53 doesn't really shock me. She's run that fast before. But the big surprise is that she had company. I didn't. I thought if she ran 8.53, maybe Winfred Yavi, who's run 8.56 would come with her. Get at you. This was her first year in the event. She's been making a lot of progress. But I still didn't see an 8.54. That's a 13-second PB for her. Likewise, a Bebe PB by 6 seconds. So that was a surprise. But Gerudo had the best water jump. That was where she was able to get the gap. And then over the last barrier, she just had so much run left in her. Like I thought Get at you. I was like, Get at you's an eight, a 156 woman. Like, she should be able to outrun her, but I think she was just pretty tired going after all of these barriers. So she gets the silver. 
really fast race up front. And the Americans just didn't really have a prayer. I mean, Coburn thought she was in 850s shape. She said this after the race to me. And that's why she went with them. She was like, you know, thinking she could do it. She wanted to run for a medal. She wanted to take a big swing. And now she's kind of at a loss. She was like, am I just in 916 shape right now? Is that it? Or she she doesn't know what to make of it. She's got a few diamond leagues lined up after world. So she's going to go test herself there and see if she's actually got the fitness that she thought she had, but not a great race for her. And Courtney Frerichs, 910, that's that's fine. It's it's certainly not her performance in Tokyo last year, but she also hasn't had the same sort of smoother build up towards Tokyo. She was pretty content with that performance. I don't think like even if she ran her personal best, she was not going to medal tonight. Her personal best is eight fifty seven. So hard to be too up. I mean, you'd like her to be closer to the medals, but given how her season's gone with the celiac and the low iron and everything. Sixth, I think she can be fairly proud of that. And then Courtney Wayman, her first global championships, 12th. She's just, you know, she was making the final, making the team. She has a bright future, but she was in it a little over her head and how fast this race was tonight. Well, I'm glad that Cobra wants to keep running because I think it's important that she keeps running. I mean, the Olympics were a disaster last year for her, and then she doesn't run. Kind of like it's a late start this year. And, you know, struggled in pre in that opener, but then ran pretty good in the 1500. Said she had her best block of uh, of training, you know, at some point in, in her career, and then this is disappointing. There's just no way around it. But it's a little bit warm, right, John? I mean, she's never broken nine, but I would, I think, if she could stay motivated, and I think a lot of this is psychological. I said this last night, like at this stage of the game, it's an early world. It's it's not even Let's Run dot com Founders Day. By the way, something magical is going to happen on July 24th, this Sunday. I'm not sure which of my favorite runners is going to win that race. Grant Fisher or Carson, or uh, excuse me, I keep saying Carson Warholm, Jacob Ingebrigtsen. I think it's going to be Ingebrigtsen, my boy. Well, you can celebrate. You can act like you're me. But um, you guys are boys now. I I think that he he said you have opinions that are different. That makes you boys. For an old man. Yeah. It's just for a young guy to even notice you. A lot of times old people, young people don't even notice anyone over the age of 40. Like they don't even physically see you in the room. So fair enough. Fair enough. He doesn't see his own father anymore. So, um, whoa. Okay. All right. But, um, look, I I mentioned a few weeks ago, the dream of Coburn breaking the American record, winning the gold medal and hold soil. That clearly didn't happen. Devastated. I think that if she is an 855 shape, it certainly doesn't look like she's an 855 shape, but who knows? You know, if she ends the year getting an American record in the first sub nine, it's going to be a very successful year. It'll this sting. Yeah, you wish you had the medal, and that's what she's prided herself on. But sort of to cap her CV as the greatest American steeplechaser in history, it would really be nice to have that sub nine American record. Well, question for you about Cobain: She's thirty-one. She turns thirty-two in October. Do we think that these performances in Tokyo and now in Eugene, she underperformed the last two global finals. Is this a sign that she's getting up there? She's been on the world stage for a long time now. Her first world's team was 2011. Is this just what happens when, you know, we've had, we've seen runners continue to run well into their 30s. Evan Jager just got sixth in the world final at age 33, but he's also obviously not quite as good as he was. Coburn hasn't had the injuries that Jager has, but do you think this is a sign of her decline, or do you think Emma Coburn is still capable of getting up there and PRing Robert? 
I think she's capable. I mean, I, I don't think 32 is old for a woman. A lot of women, their testosterone goes up. The older they get, they're at their peak in their mid-30s. So why would I think she's done? I, I, I don't think that physiologically she should be done. I don't think she's done dumb things in training. But, you know, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, right, John? So this is two. You know, I'd like to see something. But yeah, she also but felt that her performance at USA, she said that was... She felt that was her most impressive run of any of her 10 U.S. titles. And I thought it was pretty dominant over Courtney Frerichs, who is a good runner, a good steeplechaser. So, yeah, I'm not willing to say she's done, but this it's a little alarming given that one of the biggest things about Emma Coburn was she consistently ran her best in the best races. 2016 Olympics, 2017 Worlds, 2019 Worlds. She delivered, she ran her best when she needed to, and she hasn't been able to do that in the two biggest races of the year, the last two seasons. Well, John, I think there's two questions. One, sort of, not is she done, but she passed her peak. And then earlier you guys said, oh, they're in, you know, they ran over their heads. Are the American women in over their heads now, essentially? Like, has this event now passed them by? For the longest time, the steeplechase never is like a fully mature event in the sense that like everybody in both sexes does it, but even more so on the women's side, it was a completely new event. It hadn't existed for women. So were the American women sort of just like benefiting more from title nine, that sort of stuff, less opportunities abroad. Other women just weren't running steeple. And now this is like, it's, it's like the women's 5k, the women's 10. Are, are, do we think we're going to see even less, chances with the Americans to succeed. That's an interesting theory. I think you're probably onto something there, Weldon, because every NCAA team has the steeplechase. You know, it's very easy to get into that event now the last 10, 15 years in the United States. In Ethiopia, I don't I don't think it is. You know, we've only seen this Ethiopian surge in this event in recent years, both on the men's and women's side. And now that they're a major player in this event. Yes, it's going to be more crowded. It will be more difficult to Amer for Americans to medal. But I also don't want to totally lose sight of the big. I mean, Courtney Ferrix ran eight fifty seven last year. That's still a very fast steeple, even for how they wouldn't have medaled tonight. But she ran eight fifty seven. She's still in her twenties. She might be able to go faster. So I don't think it's totally passed them by. But I think it's only going to get harder to medal. I think it's a wonderful point, yeah. Weldon, a wonderful point because remember when, 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 when back when Jenny Simpson was on the, in this event and, you know, she. Wait, Jenny used to run the steeple? That's never come up on this podcast before. You know, and she was kind of like a nine. I want to Maybe I'm wrong. She was like a 909 person, but. 912. You know, 912. And there was people running like basically nine flat. She wasn't really competitive. A lot of them were probably doped up at the time, like Russians or something. But she kind of was like, I'm going to go to the 1500. And it's kind of, let's be honest. I mean, the, has an American woman ever been competitive like, like 5,000 meters? No. Elise Cranny was talking about that today. She was like, she thought the highest an American woman had ever finished at Worlds was seventh. I thought it might have been sixth, but no, not in the 5,000. So the 3,000, yeah. Well, that, that, that could be interesting. I mean, not to discredit what, what Emma Coburn has done, but when she won Worlds time, 902. Oh, correct. And her other medal was 902. 
And guess what her Olympic medal was? 2016. 907- God, John, that's why we hire you. Incredible that you can do that recall. I look at that. I'm not, that. Look, I'm not going to discredit her. She's meddled three times. This is not a fluke. Like, Emma Coburn's good. I don't want to, I'm not trying to besmirch her legacy. She's a yeah. world champion and a, two, a three time global medalist. Like, this, the, at that point, you can't just say, oh, she's getting benefit because the event's weak. Like, that's, that's three medals. I'm not going to rip her for any of that. So, but I, I think Walden made, made a very good point about the event being. Um, you know, more difficult. It was interesting to me this race. Someone wants to know if Bebe, the third placer, missed out by going out slow. She did not go. She was not with the top three. And I actually think she ran a very smart race. She went out like 258. Like, best way to run an easy, even pace, run that and kick it in. So I, I think that was pretty smart because the beginning was pretty hot. I was surprised that Peru Chemichai was up in the lead pack early on. This is the Olympic champion. And it was very interesting. A lot of times, you know, we think, what do we learn from being at Worlds instead of just watching it remotely? And I talked to her when I was there, John, and it was interesting because she's run much faster heading into the World Championships this year than she did in the Olympics last year, yet she won last year. Yet after the first round, she's like, she thinks she ran like 904 pre. She's like, I'm not very fit this year. So it was very surprising because last year she was running like 915 or 920, wins Olympic gold. This year she's running like 904, 905, says so she's not fit, but she went with it, tried to win it or, you know, medal and, and, and faded. So, yeah, if you go out too fast, you know, it, it can be difficult. But one other thing about Coburn, and let's get into this, is, you know, she's is she may be battling an intersex woman. This worker who get at you um, woman had no results at all until age 25, runs 156, which would be the Ethiopian record, but doesn't run the Olympics. So to me, the implication would be that she's part of the DSD intersex regulations and is ineligible for the event. Therefore, she doesn't run the Olympics and moves up to the steeple, which, by the way, is the first event you can run. If you're intersex, you can't run between 400 and the mile, but you can run the 3000 or 3000 steeplechase. She runs that and has really done that well. Um, you know, a, a good racer for if she is intersex, as I said, with Francine Saba, it's still would be hard to move from the 800 to the steeple. So that's good. Now, we don't have confirmation of that that's never been confirmed. John asked her today if she was eligible for the 800, she claimed that she was, and she actually did run an 800 in December in Ethiopia. But I don't know if that would be like, that could be an all comers meet for all I know. I have reached out to world athletics um, with an email tonight and said, Hey, are you allowed to tell us if someone is part of DSD regulations? If not, are you allowed to tell us if someone's eligible for a certain event? And if not, um, well, then I think I just asked more directly. Is she, you know, is she part of the DSD regulations? So, they may not answer the first question, the last question, but they may be able to answer one of the first two. I'll let you know if we hear anything. They're not going to answer any of the questions, Robert, but. Well, I, I'm not so sure about that because I've been talking to them sort of, I, I've been very impressed by them in terms of, they don't want to go on the record, but I've been talking to them a lot about the Devin Allen situation. So one thing they, you know, like they're like, look, these are the rules. The rule is 0 0.10. He violated that. The, the recording time said he violated, so he, therefore he's out. So if rules are rules, there, there's no shame in a rule. So if the rule is you can't have this level, I guess you don't want to reveal someone's medical information, but you could say she's not eligible for this event. I mean, that's a factual statement. So if, if they DQ someone for stepping on the line, they used to in the middle of the steeplechase. By the way, they that rule has been changed, so they haven't been DQing. Apparently, we heard from Jakob Larson 
of World Athletics, you told Jonathan and I the marathon that like I think something like 20 people would have been DQ'd under the old rules that have not been DQ'd because they've they've got some common sense. John, what do you think about this comment? There's a comment by Jonathan Alcantara in the chat saying, I think tactically Emma got too excited running at home. Obviously, she wanted to make an impression. So do you think th- that the home pressure is playing on any of these athletes? Up until today, the athletes had done great, but like today they sort of faltered. I guess the women's 5K made it, but like the discus didn't go that well. I felt like... Just tonight wasn't a great day for, for Team USA. Yeah, tonight wasn't, but in general, it's been a great meet. And I think what I've learned talking to them is they pay attention to these other events and it raises their own expectations. It's if they, if it's someone who you want, like Evan Jager, right? We didn't think he was going to medal. I don't think even he thought he was going to medal coming into this meet, but. He sees all the success the U.S. is having the first couple of days, and he starts thinking, "Hey, we're you know the Americans are doing great. I have a chance to do special. Uh, you know, maybe I can medal too." I think a lot of these athletes it's giving them more hope and optimism. But do I think Emma just got carried away because the crowd was cheering for her? No, she was very clear in what she was said in the mix zone. She wanted to run for a medal. She thought. If she's in 850 shape, going out in 257, it's not going to feel amazing, but that's what she's going to have to do to run a medal. Sorry, to win a medal. And she was right. She needed to run well under nine minutes to get a medal tonight. She was just going to give it what it took. And she fell apart, but she could hang her head high and at least say, hey, I went for it. I put myself in the race. I tried to put myself in a position to win a medal. I don't think that had anything to do with the going with the crowd. That was just her game plan go for broke. I liked it because she hasn't had a big success. She was when she, when she tried to run more, even in pre, I'm like, why isn't she doing it now? She's run smart. And the Mark Wetmore thing is about try to run even pace a little bit. But I was like, no, she needs a jolt of confidence. She needs to feel like she's in it. And in hindsight, she was proven correct. You weren't going to come off as fast as everybody ran and two fifty seven for the first K. If you think you're in eight fifty five shape, that's perfect. Because remember the first lap, there's no, Barriers. The first 200 should be significantly faster than, I mean, to go out and run, you know, 35 wouldn't be too fast. So, um, you know, I, I, it's a good question, but I liked what she did. I thought like, no, put yourself in it. Think you're going to be going for it. Maybe the crowd gets you into it and, and you have the race of your life. And I loved what she did. I, you know, and, and a lot of these things, there's been so many stories like this, like, you know, like, you don't necessarily get what you want, but you did the right thing. And like, right. Benjamin, he got silver. He was so proud of that because he's had a, a lot of injuries and stuff like that. And Carson Warholm, dude, I know he blew up, but I knew that he was going to do, I got goes for broke and he ran as hard as he could for 300 meters. We weren't sure if he could make it 400 meters. He couldn't make it. Well, he did finish, but he was in seventh place. So, um, it's been a lot. It's just so many cool storylines. All right. What about the, enough steeple talk? I think guys, what yeah, else happened yeah. tonight? Um, well, one thing related to the steeple, and I thought about this after last night's podcast. I don't know when I woke up at 4 a.m. or something. Sure, we give Jake Whiteman credit for winning, but I think... Wow, well, one day. It's his last of one day, and Weldon's going to try to detract from Jake Whiteman. No, no, no. We need to give him even more credit for thinking he could win and running like he could win. A lot of guys would wait. They wouldn't take that lead with 200 to go. They're going to wait to that final 100, say, okay... I'm up here. Then I'll outkick him. 
he took the like race by the balls. Is that the term? I don't know. He just was like, this is mine. I'm going for it now. And at some level, we're all afraid, right? We're human beings. There's a lot of risk if you do that. And he did it. And I think that there's this comment here by Stephen Walden. Coburn did the same thing Muir did in the 15. She knew the only way to meddle was stick with the lead pack. And I agree. Coburn ran to meddle or to win. She probably didn't think she could win. She's hoping maybe to win. But I applaud it. I don't really care that Courtney Frerichs beat her today. That means nothing to me. This guy says fourth and tenth in the same place. So bravo for going for it. I, I think for whatever the fitness is here or wh- whatnot. Celia Gutierrez in the comments says, this is interesting, John, because Joe Bob, Broad Bossard, her husband and coach, has had great success. But he says her coach and husband, she says, does not have the background nor can he rely on the extensive experience to help her fix this rut and keep improving, regardless of how competitive the event gets. I'm not sure about that. I mean, do you, I don't know. Do you, do you have experience coaching athletes who like used to be at the top and aren't? And, and I, I don't know. Like, can, I don't think there's like a guidebook for that to begin with. Yeah, I think maybe well, I switching mean, coaches is the way to do it for anyone. He, she's had a lot of success under Joe Bosshide. And he guided her to a world title and first year is coaching her. And you can say how much, you know, athlete makes the coach, coach makes the athlete, blah, blah, blah. What I did find is interesting is she said this year has been a very different year for her training wise. The first four or five years she was with Joe, they would just basically do what they'd done the year before and tweak it a little bit and usually just make it a little harder and a little faster. She would do that every year. And she thought 2021 they were really ripping workouts and going super hard. They had these sessions she called bangers. They were just really tough. And she thought, okay, I think we actually finally overcooked it last year. That was too much. I couldn't handle it. So they really overhauled the training and she stopped going quite as intense in workouts, but she's still doing a lot of high mileage and that sort of stuff. So it's been a different year for her. And she feels like Things have been going really well in training. So she thinks there's still a fast race in there. I guess we'll see if she can summon one in one of these diamond leagues. But it was interesting to hear her say that it's been a different approach training-wise this season than the years past. All right, time to move on to the 800 meters. I think as an American podcast, we have a duty to address this event, even though this was a dark day for American 800 meter running. For the first time in the history of the world championships, there won't be a single American man in the semifinals, the 800 meters. Look, one last thing about Coburn real quick. I mean, Abebe did come off the pace a little bit. Abebe was six flat at 2K. The leaders top three were 558. Coburn was still 602. So Coburn was still, Coburn was basically as close to Abebe as Abebe was to the leaders. So Coburn still, you know, theoretically, if she had a good last one, hey, could have meddled. But for the 800, look, first of all, we weren't expecting anything of Jonathan Brazier here. We were hoping somehow he would fake it on his talent. But that injury was pretty serious last year. He's had a lot of injury problems. One of the supporting club members is a doctor that's from Michigan was like, I remember in the last like November, December, when I was talking to him, he was like worried Brazier would never come back. So it's good that he's just even running at this level. He's going to have surgery in 10 days. Let's hope he comes back. That's not the real Donovan Brazier. He's throwing, you know, he thought, he's like, I thought I could fake it on what, 30 miles a week? No. So he's going to have to run with it. Like 15. Yeah. Oh, 15. He wants to run 30 or 40. Um, so that wasn't a surprise. Your injury list don't pile on that. Um, the NCA guy, 
uh, from Texas A&M, Brandon Miller. I didn't like the way he ran that race at all. I know it's his first time in the global stage. It's, it's a long season for a college guy. But, John, what's he known for? Going out hard. And what did he do today? Did not go out hard. Yeah. Dance with the woman that brought you or whatever. What's the phrase, John? Yeah, dance with the girl that brought you. So let's hope. Well, I don't want to say anything. I'm just gonna make it try to make it all thing. They thought John always asks, how do we know they're officially dating? Well, it's officially dating because according to NBC, he is dating all thing Mo. This is yeah, they've said this, it's been open for a couple months now. So so that that was you know, so those are two as a young guy. I mean, making worlds was amazing this year as what a sophomore in college. So congrats to him. The other two, look, Jonah Kowicz runs the second fastest time in the entire stadium today. He was in the fast heat. He ran a lifetime PB and he was DQ'd. And I'm not happy with this DQ. Contrast that the other American, Bryce Hopple, is given a two arm shove at 200 meters by Canada's Brandon McBride. Brandon McBride shoves somebody with two arms and is not disqualified. Yet Jonah Kowicz. This is what happened if you didn't see the race. So Jonah Kowich, the former Kenyan, he went to UTEP and has really had a great PR at, at USA's to make the team and then runs another PB here. He's a big pack at 600, fastest heat of the day. And somebody clipped him from behind. Very clear that he got hit from behind. He stumbles a little bit and kind of then in turn hits the guy in front of him a little bit. And with that happening, he's like, screw this. I don't want to have this contact. And he just moves out and there's not much room there and, and squeezes between the guy in front of him and the guy on his side. Definitely not enough space to come through, but he doesn't knock them over. And both of those guys ended up getting in on time or automatically they would have advanced to the final. I think this is the type of thing. I, I know you have to draw the line somewhere and it's the same thing with the Devin Allen false starts, but both these guys would have gotten in time. I think you wait till the event's over and you think everyone through. This did not need to be called. Like it didn't impact it. No one else behind them lost out because of it. Let's, you know, I, I didn't like this. Now for Bryce Hopple in the post-race interview on NBC, he's like, we're definitely going to protest this. Look, McBride should have definitely been DQ'd for shoving somebody 200 meters into a race with a full arm shove. You can't extend your arms. That's obvious to me. I don't care that he fell. Karma is a B-I-T-C-H and fell like 10 meters later and ended up running 157. That was still a foul. Why wasn't he disqualified for that? But Hopple said, you know, to, the, to Lewis Johnson on the NBC broadcast, we're definitely going to protest. I spent the rest of the race making up for that. And that would throw you off. But look, you got 600 meters to make up for it. I know you really only have one move in the 800 and it's tough, but he should have been better than he ran. He didn't look good today. Maybe you place him in the final, but I'm more upset about the, Coex DQ, even though technically it was a DQ. Technically, he fouled those guys by going through there. But to me, Coach should be in the final. Hopple, uh, I mean, not final, semifinal. Probably not. But we're only talking getting out of the first round. Oh, God. Okay. I'm glad to see that you are taking the no harm, no foul approach here, Robert, because before I thought you were going to try to argue that the Coach thing wasn't a DQ worthy offense, because I think it was. I mean, as you described it, yes, he lost his balance briefly, but then he tried to go through a gap that didn't exist. It was well, he didn't. No, but 
He didn't knock anyone over. Nobody fell. He did. The sweet. Did you not see Andreas Kramer? He lost his momentum. He fell back because Koech basically stole his position by running through his back. Like, yes, he didn't fall to the ground, but he clearly affected his race. And yes, Kramer still got a time qualifier, so he wasn't truly affected. But I don't know. I I, I kind of subscribe to your idea that. No harm, no foul. You know, just put them all. If they're all going through anyway, why do you have to DQ Coach? But at the same time, it was a foul. I don't have a ton of sympathy for it. You know, it's 800 meters. You can't just plow through people because you're in a bad position. That's part of the event. Yeah, it's kind of luck. Now, it is kind of lucky that Kramer gets in on time. This is the fastest heat. And you don't want to set a precedent of guys doing this, thinking they can get away with this. This kind of reminds me of... um I mean, this is the argument I would say about, like, I was going to be very upset if they DQ'd uh, in the 5,000 last year at USA's. Cholimo. Cholimo. But I'm like, eventually that guy needs to get DQ'd because he can't keep doing this. He's going to do it at the world stage and they're going to toss him out of there. So I don't want people doing what Coach did. It was done if he just waited. He obviously had plenty of run. So Coach shouldn't feel bad. Everybody else... Uh, not so good. The Hoppel thing, though, though, I feel I have some sympathy for Bryce because clearly he was shoved. That was a foul. Right. Clearly he, he was affected a little, you know, he was affected at the very start and that cost him some amount of time. He would have run faster if it didn't happen. But like you said, you know, he was in position to make it. He didn't have it the last hundred. I do wonder, like, should he do what soccer players and basketball do- players do? Does Is the best move just flop? And you say, I was shoved to the ground. He totally threw off my race. I should be advanced. I say no, but I feel like if that happened, he's more likely to go through than if he's just shoved but stays on his feet. Yeah. As you're talking, John Weldon threw off the highlight of, of the coach so, so-called foul. Like, look, Kramer lost his balance because coach hit him from behind, but coach only hit him from behind when he got clipped from the guy behind him. And then he did bump him again when he was already off balance. But no, if Coach squeezed between those guys without having first stomped, stepped on him because he was for himself fouled from the guy behind him, that would have been a no DQ. That I also just, I don't think Coach was fouled. I think that was just bumping. I don't think Coach was fouled. That was just everyone was well. Then that was just bumping together with two hundred to go. Then that was just bumping the first time when he caused him to lose his balance, and then he tries to pass him between. He's lost his balance, and then he hits him again. No, that, that, that's going for a, that's trying to shoot a gap that doesn't exist yet. It's very borderline. All right. Very, very borderline. Not not great for the American 800 meter core overall. I mean, it is pretty crazy, though. This was my stat that I had. The 2019 World Championship final, America goes 1 4 8 with Donovan Brazier, Bryce Hupple, and Clayton Murphy. The next World Championships, with four entrants, they can't even get one to the semifinals. And I know, the like you Look, said, Robert, this, with this Brazier, is- there's extenuating circumstances, but. It's just surprising to me because this tradition, you know, the last few years, this has been a pretty good event for America. 100% agree, John. Robert, come on. Don't pretend this isn't a huge debacle. No one expected anything of Bryce Hopple last time, and he got fourth place in the world. He doesn't even make it out of the first round. John, I'm curious what Bryce said. And the one thing you guys aren't talking about, the Kramer foul, is if you look, Kramer steps on the inside of the rail on the turn. Isn't that automatic DQ these days? Yes. Inside rail. One step is not allowed, right? Or is one allowed now? On the turn, I don't think you can take... I don't they've, think I'm they've, sure. Right, they've loosened up the rules. But essentially, like, they, they still don't like you cutting the course, i.e. going short distance. 
So the one step on the inside, I think that's what doomed Koech. I think if Kramer doesn't take the one step on the inside of the turn, which was solely because Koech busted through there, he doesn't make it. It's interesting, though, NBC. And have you guys noticed in NBC, Sonia Richards-Ross and Otto Bolden are the distance announcers ahead of (laughs) – are the 800 announcers ahead of – they have Kara Goucher there. The 800 is more of a distance event than it's a sprint event. But Kara's not allowed to comment on the race. Like, at the very least, how about Otto should go away, right? And Sonia Richards-Ross should do it with Kara. But they were, like, uh, aggressive running. They liked it. so And I did, too. I mean, yeah, you can say it's stupid because he got caught. But I, at the world level, usually you go for it, you get rewarded. They don't DQ that many people. I'll, I'll try to pull up the Brandon McBride thing here as well because that one, he extends an arm and just pushes – Hopple out into lane three or something. Yeah. All right. Enough about the Americans, though, because this is a fascinating event to me because I think it's still totally wide open. We had another the huge surprise on day one. Sorry, right before round one starts, Max Bergen, the world leader, 20-year-old British champion, he's a DNS with an injury, unspecified injury. I haven't seen any further statement on that. He is a guy who's battled injuries throughout his career. So not a humongous. Well, I mean, it's a surprise because he was entered. We Everyone thought he was going to win. He was running well as of a couple weeks ago. But he's out. And Patrick Dobek, Robert's boy, the bronze medalist from Tokyo, he also goes home. But is there anyone watching these races who you were impressed by or who you thought, Hmm, that guy, his stock just went way up. Who you, you know, you think, you know, what, what are your big takeaways in terms of the guys left in this event? Two things, three things. One, I, I thought either Bergen or, or A-Rop was the, was the fa- favorite. A-Rop won his heat, ran from the back. I like that. I thought he looked very good. He runs 145, 56. He's my favorite. What are the betting odds? I was trying to bet on him in the first. I, for some reason, I didn't realize A-Henner started this early today, and I was like, in the car and y'all, y'all were texting me about Bergen. I didn't realize the first heat went off. So I couldn't bet because the first heat had gone off. So A-Rob's the favorite. I was a Emmanuel career won his heat, the Olympic champion. I know it was a slow time, but hey, is he could he be a question? And then I guess the third question is like couldn't Bergen announce it ahead of time so I can change my picks in the course prediction contest? Guy cost me some damn money. Might cost me a damn free watch. Amateur hour here. Sir, can he, I guess he can't call himself a world championship member. He and Yared Nagus. Well, Yared Nagus definitely can't consider himself a world championship member because he's never made a world team. Okay. Well, I mean, I think it's it's a little lazy on our part to say, oh, the Heat winners looked good. But they kind of did. Like, I was impressed Moad Zahafi, the NCAA champion from Texas Tech and Morocco, that he still looked pretty good controlling things up front. He's had, you remember, he ran 143 back in April. I was like, this guy's just going to be cooked. He's run, been running in the NCAA all year. He's not going to have anything. No, he actually looked quite good. A couple of commenters noted Peter Bowl, the Olympic fourth placer from Australia. Yeah, he 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 won heat too. I thought he looked good. AROP ran well. And this guy, Slaman Mula from Algeria, the winner of heat six, his kick is devastating. Every time I've seen him run this year, he closes like a bat out of hell that last hundred. He did it again. He got the win over the Kenyan champion, Wycliffe Kenyamal. So those are kind of the guys that stand out. 
And then you, you also have this other Algerian, Jamal Sajadi, who's been flying under the radar all year, winning a bunch of random races. And he won his heat as well. You know, it's who knows? I mean, one of those guys is probably going to miss out on the final. It's going to be brutal to make it. I don't think there's an event. This is an event with a clear favorite, but yeah. Am I just get? am I boring for just saying all well, the heat winners look good or is there any, you know, is there, I mean, is there something I'm missing here? Well, I think another story might be like how the Kenyans didn't look that good. I guess career was okay, but which guy won the Kenyan trials giant and which guy was the world junior? So yeah, Wycliffe yeah. Kenyamal won the Kenyan trials. He was second in heat six. And then the guy, the world junior champion from last year, that was actually one of my takeaways, Robert. Emmanuel Wanyonyi. I think I may have picked him for the win here. He was only third in Heat 3, which was Zahafi's Heat. So I wasn't totally impressed by him. And Noah Cabet, who was the world indoor silver medalist, he was fifth in AROP's Heat, which was the fast Heat, where Jonah Kovac was DQ'd. And he was, you know, one of the guys that Jonah Kovac was trying to get by. He he needed a time qualifier. He hadn't been running quite as well outdoors anyway, so I wasn't expecting as much from him. But yeah, I did. Th- I did think the the that Wenyonyi and Kinyamal would look better than they did today. I wonder how Noah Quebec got on the team because John, we were really impressed with him indoors. He's only eighteen. He won World Junior Silver last year indoors. I mean, last year, excuse me, won World Junior Bronze last year. Gets the senior indoor silver this year, but. He was only eighth in the Kenyan trials, but maybe they rewarded him for doing indoors. I don't know. But yeah, that's, you know, I was wondering if he could turn around. Well, actually, right. eighth in the Kenyan, wasn't he the guy, they submitted the results incorrectly. Uh, he may have actually been fifth or fourth, and there was a case of mistaken identity. I'm not exactly certain, but I know there was some results mishap with that. So maybe that's what happened. John, do we, did Hoppel confirm that USATF didn't appeal? I that? did I did not uh, speak to Hopple in the mix zone because I was interviewing Brazier at the same time. They came through together, so I could only pick one and I talked to Brazier. So do we have confirmation USATF didn't appeal? It just seems like a no-brainer to appeal that one. I know that they didn't appeal the Hopple, the Coetch incident. I don't know about Hopple. Oh, I mean Coetch. How do we know that? They. I asked Susan Hazard, who's the head of communications, is USATF appealing Coetch? And she said, I wasn't sure. I'll look into it. And then she texted me and said that USATF did not appeal, which makes no sense to me. Why wouldn't you at least try? Yeah, who knows? I mean, I guess they saw Kramer step on the inside one step. But real quickly, the 800 city heats, it's always the you know viewed as the round of death. But the heats are out. And... Looking at this, this event, nothing has changed. I can't believe we've talked about it this much. This thing is still wide open. There's no favorites. And it's not even that scary event. Just no one is running that well this year. I mean, it's just crazy. This first heat, I see a path for a manual career and probably maybe Kinyamal or Peter Bowl into the final. I mean, anyone. There's eight guys. You know, everyone in the field, this heat's run under 145 in their life. And everybody but... One has done it this year. And the only guy who hasn't is Emmanuel Creer. He's the Olympic champion. So that one's a wide open. He too. Yeah, Moed Zahafi. Maybe he's your favorite now, John. No, Marco A-Rob is the world leader. He, he ran the fastest time today. He's your favorite, period. Okay, good I thing. Because I got cool. A-Rob at 10 to 1 on FanDuel today. So just didn't want to give away some information. 
Heat three. Yeah, you got A-Rop. Wenyone, who didn't look that good today. Benjamin Robert, who won Paris Diamond League. But, I mean, if you're... Okay. I don't we know, don't Mark really... English, are you... You're like, hey, I got a chance to make the final somehow, right? Yeah, look, everyone in the semis has a chance to make the final. We'll talk about the semis okay. when they happen. I think there's other pressing, more pressing matters. We don't need to be spending time on this nothing of an event. They shouldn't even hand out a goal. They should just give out two medals because it's so weak this year. Wow, no kind Americans. Of, Rojo suddenly doesn't care anymore. No, I'm kind of kidding. At its finest. I'm kind of kidding. But look, we've got to we've got to forget that not everybody's listening to every podcast. There's not much this night. This is why we're doing the int- the retrospective of the whole world for the regular subscribers who don't listen every night to our amazing breakdowns. But, but look, women's five thousand. The interesting thing there was, I don't know. John texted me like right before the race. Breaking news. Gudolf Sagai is running the five. I, I had already thought she was running the five earlier in the day. I'd already picked her to, to win the event. So was she not supposed to run the five, John? She had told me in the 1500 she was running both. She was entered, but the Ethiopian Federation, when they announced the team, they said that Sagai was the reserve and the edge guy, Ute, was going to run the event. And they probably looked at the results, the 15 and the 10. Edge guy, Ute, didn't medal in the 10. Didn't look totally very impressive. Gudaf Sagai looked very good in getting the silver in the 15. They thought, and she's also the bronze medalist from the Olympics last year. They're like, who's a better chance of getting a medal? Sagai. I don't really blame him. It's kind of a shitty deal when for uh, Edge Guy Ute if you think you're running both events. But yeah, that she was not supposed to run until this last minute change. So this is kind of crazy if you think about it in the sense of Edge Guy Ute, she may not be a name. But she won the pre-classic. She's the world leader in this event by 12 seconds. But I guess, you know who I would have kicked off? Hello? Who? I would have kicked off Let's Send a Bet Good Day. I assume. Why? She's terrible at the 5,000. Why? Wait, wait. Good Day just showed, she just outkicked Safan Hassan and Helen Obiri, the Olympic and world 5,000 meter champions, to win the 10K. And you're saying she shouldn't be in the 5K, Robert? What's your rationale? I guess you got to reward the 10,000 winner. I just don't think you also, great. you were furious last year. Ethiopia, they don't let Solomon Borrego double at the Olympics. And now you're calling for them not to let Gade double? No, what I'm is letting logic? Them, I want, I want Sagay to double. And I'm just saying this other woman is destroyed Gade earlier in the year in the 5,000, is the world leader by 12 seconds. So she's basically hurt because she runs the 10,000 doesn't medal there and they want to reward good day. It's an impossible thing. I get it. They have four really, really, really good people, but I don't know. Taye did look pretty bad in, the, in that 10, right? But she was there with the bell, right? Look, I think it's fine to say we're going to, if they told them beforehand, Hey, whoever does better in their individual events, that's who we're going to pick. But if it's between good and Taye, you have to pick the G'day. She's the 10K champ. You've got to give her a chance to go for the double. Picking Taye over her. I don't care that Taye beat her in some race where G'day was going for the world record and then lost interest when she wasn't going to get it two and a half months ago. Like, I care that she got smoked by G'day on the last lap last week. Okay. I forgot that. Well, let's hope G'day medals. Robert can't be serious. I mean, he just loves to be controversial. He's going to keep a 10K champion out of the 5K. Like, oh, that's the one I would have kept out. That's just like, come on. Why doesn't he just go full-fledged into well, Stephen A. Smith's job? I might have kept Dawid Sayam off the, off the team completely, but she hasn't run, right? 
No, she hasn't run an event at Worlds yet. Well, there's this other thing. I mean, how about this? 10K champion gets an automatic buy into the 5K. Even if they weren't emptied or had the qualifying time or anything, anyone who wins the 10K at Worlds of the Olympics, if they want to hop into the 5K, they get an automatic spot. Yeah. All right, all three Americans make it, but let's let's take a step back and look at the rest of the meet. Um, to me, the biggest storyline, Team USA is really bringing it, except for tonight. We're having a fantastic Worlds. That one night, Sunday night, we won nine medals in one day, the most ever. But I think these narratives of this meet has exposed these narratives of like, what's wrong with this event or what's wrong with the coaching in this event or what's wrong with this. That's totally been exposed as a fraudulent argument because what was the big argument last year, John, about the Olympics when we came away, it was historic for a poor reason for the United States of America. And do you remember what that was on the, the American side, men failed to win a gold medal in the individual track event for the first time in Olympic history. And what happened in day one, the the or the uh, the day they had their very first final on the track? USA went one two three in the men's hundred. So we went one two three in that event. We're gonna win the two hundred as well. I'm just not sure which guy's gonna win it. Um, they already won the one hundred ten hurdles. Actually, one one two in that event, and. They're going to be favored to win the 400 with Michael Norman as well. Whoa, John, look out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Michael Norman did not look good today. I don't think that's near as much of formality as I thought it was. I said he's going to be favored. Name who's the favorite. It's still Michael Norman. I know he didn't look great, but he's still the favorite for the final. Michael Norman probably is your favorite, John. Probably is your favorite. But Mike, Michael Michael Johnson, who has been delivering, you know, fire takes all season long, really. But you know, he knows the four hundred better than pretty much anyone. And he tweeted this two hours ago. I think men's four hundred is still open. Should be Norman, but I'm still not hundred percent sure he's developed consistent race execution. I hope he wins. So don't even start with Hayda. I'm a commentator. But I think MJ's right. Like Norman ha- Look, Doha, he was hurt, didn't make the final. Yeah, he didn't want to admit it, but he was hurt. Last year, don't really know what happened, but he didn't run that well at the Olympics. This year, the semis, I mean, look, it was a pretty quick race, but didn't look incredible. I thought, yeah, look, I I think he's the favorite, but I don't think he's the over, I don't think he's an overwhelming favorite. It's interesting, John. I just went to three sports books, and I wonder if they were sort of working cahoots because they don't know how to set lines for athletics. Like all the events that had semis today, I don't see lines for yet. So they're probably trying to like figure out, like, wait, what are Michael Norman's chances for? I would love to know how they set the lines for track and field. Well, speaking of 400 meters, I do actually have some action on that event. I didn't bet a lot on it, but I got Karani James at plus 600 at the start of the meet. To win the gold, threw twenty bucks on that. I think that's a decent, decent odds right now. I like one of these comments in the YouTube, Daniel Black. How can you be inconsistent in the four hundred? It does seem weird to me that you know race execution. How hard is it in the four hundred? You're doing the same thing over and over, and that's why I don't think Sonia Richards Ross and Otto Bolden should be should be commentating on the eight hundred because 
there really are no ta- I mean, there's tactics, but your tactics and and the sprints is very simple. You're in your own lane, and you're just doing your own thing. In the 800 and the 1500, you have to react, you know, to what other people are doing. So that was my overall take: is the USA is doing well. We won some sprint medals. We're going to win some more. So congrats to that. Um, it looks like Delilah Muhammad is going to win another medal, world record, and and the 400 hurdles. She looks just amazing which is cool, but I'm really interested to see at the end of the meet, how do we look in these relays? Can we actually win the four by one? We ha- went one, two, three, just get these guys. They've actually practiced. I don't really care who's on the team. Whoever they feel most confident can hand this baton around. We should win it without Marcel Jacobs being in Italy. There's no Fred Coley now though. Do you see that? He's out for the relay. That, I wouldn't run him. So that doesn't really concern me. We've got, we had four guys in the final, right? So put three and then the Lyle's brother, or, Put two and the two Lyles brothers on there. Uh, I thought about this. First of all, why is Josephus Lyles on the relay squad? This question has never been. I should reach out to USATF, but they wouldn't give me any. I'm sure they wouldn't answer it. Doesn't make any sense to me either. You would aren't you supposed to just go down the list on the hundred? Why are they plucking a guy who didn't even make the two hundred team and adding him to the relay pool? I don't get it either. Well then, wait. Yeah, he's not in any event. He's he's on the squad. It just makes zero sense. Like zero. Like, what about the fifth place guy in the hundred, or do we think Josephus Lyles' top end speed well, is that good? I, I don't know. Or, but the other question is, John, with Fred Curley off, I wasn't convinced Noah Lyles was going to be on this relay squad. You'd easily just go with the four guys from the hundred final. You could. So now, for sure, there's a spot for Lyles. Apparently, there must have been a spot for Lyles for both Lyles before because Josephus is even on the team. So I think the relay coach clearly likes the Lyles brothers. I mean, yeah, Noah's well, yeah. the top end speed with the running start. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's easy to justify with numbers. Noah anchored this team to an American record in Doha. He's in terrific form right now. I don't really have an issue if you want to sub him in, even at the expense of one of the 100 guys. But in terms of the other guys on the squad, Makai Williams, who was fourth at USA's, I think he opted out. I don't think he, you know, he's not on the in the relay team, and I think that was his own decision. I'm not certain on that. And then you've got Elijah Hull Thompson and Kyrie King. From what I understand, I think Elijah Hull Thompson's going to be. He was those were fifth and sixth places at USA's, and then you've also got Josephus Lyles in there. So it's going to be some combination of that whole group. I would guess Curly, Bracey, and Bromel and Lyles. That's going to be your final lineup. That, that's probably the five, the four best guys. But we'll see. I, I don't. It, who knows what? It's the USA relays, so who knows what's going to happen? And the U.S. women in the open four were terrible today. None of them made the final. So hopefully, we put those four hundred hurdlers on there, still get the job done. But let's talk about the other big, big sprint news here: the men's hundred ten hurdles and the full start of Devin Allen. So this was the big news in the mainstream America media. This guy's going to the NFL. He says he's going to win a home world championships. He went to the University of Oregon. He's going to set the world record, then go play in the NFL. People are like, dude, you never come close to a world record. He then runs the third fastest hurdle time ever in New York. Then we find out his dad died, but he still sneaked onto the team. He looks pretty good here at, all of a sudden at Worlds again. And certainly in the hunt for the medal, certainly in the hunt for the win even. And gun goes off. Nobody sees a visible full start. And they say in lane three. 
And John, there was a groan in the crowd, like, no way. And there's a long delay, and eventually they toss him because his reaction time was faster than one-tenth of a second. I've written two stories on this. I think this is the wrong call. And look, I'm open-minded. I think I'm very good at seeing both sides of everything. To be honest, when right before that, the women's 100 semis was going on, and I was eating in a food court listening to the meat on my phone, watching on TV, basically. And they announced some DQs, and I remember thinking, 0.095 for one of them, or 9.6. One of them was the fourth fastest woman in the world, John. Help me out with her name from the University of Texas, Julia Allred. Julian Alfred. Alfred, close enough. And, you know, I'm like, well, they got to have the line somewhere. If you're under the line, it's a computer. What could possibly be wrong? They probably have something, a lot of leeway built in. Probably a human really shouldn't react to 100.15. But none of this appears to be true. So once Alan's DQ'd, we're down in the mix zone interviewing people. His agent, Paul Doyle, comes down there and is like, that wasn't a DQ. And I'm like, huh? He's like, definitely didn't DQ. And he's like, this happened to Colin Jackson in the world back in the day when you used to get one DQ. He did a .0998. And that, you know, he didn't get thrown out because he could, you could, you were allowed one DQ back then. And then he did it again. He went .102. So he's like, you can react perfectly. Some of these guys do do it. And Devin Allen, lo and behold, was .099 and .101. But the agent said, like, look, these reaction times are faster this year than normal. And we've done the data. We've done the research. I've done it. A lot of people on the internet have done it. Statisticians, a guy just wrote me, it's like one in 900 million chance that this is just random. Robert, everyone, well, not everyone, but we've already done this in the podcast. People know the facts. You've written stories on this. Well, what, do we need to explain it again for people who aren't supporters, club members? We, we give the masses the best running podcast every week for free. But if we're doing daily shows and they're not paying, do we need to like bend over and like, repeat all the information we just told them you could just say hey it's a bullshit re dq read the article we all know that robert keeps john churning out i'm like hey i'm texting him from the hospital today like and he's like sorry i wrote another Devin allen article i'm like what but oh, I, I guess I it worked off because nbc sports talked about the respected cornell and oregon coach robert johnson who wrote the article so for those of you guys who maybe overseas i'll explain this one to you Robert, back in the day, it's probably been now five or six, maybe 10 years, how many years ago, was a court coach at Cornell University. It was 10 years ago. That's crazy. Another Robert Johnson was the coach at the University of Oregon, getting paid about half a million dollars a year to coach. Just got his contract not renewed. Completely different people. But hey, glad NBC Sports, which called Let's Run, what? The preeminent running website? Thought they were the same. They got hey. everything right there except for one piece of information. Yeah, totally, I totally believe what that guy wrote. And I, I I showed my wife it, and she's like, you coached at Oregon? Like a question mark. So even she didn't know the truth of it all. But no, why do I keep bringing it up? Because this is my this is my rise into the mainstream, folks. I was on the Oregon radio station today. Tomorrow I'm going to be on the BBC. This is striking a nerve with Wait, the average What? Person. Yeah, this is striking a nerve with the average person. I've got German media contacting me as well. People like this. The, 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 it's obvious to us, but then nothing's been done about it. Now, did you the, wait? Did you, you put your phone number at the end? This is pretty smart, actually. We we got to start. My wife does communications. We really need to do more PR. We love sort of just putting stuff out there, and making the masses find a, our greatness. But Robert, were you putting your phone number out there? How do they get in touch with you? 
Just put it at the bottom. Robert Johnson is the co-founder of Let's Run.com. He can be reached via text or call by 844-LET'S-RUN or email him at Robert Let's Run. I mean, wasn't that difficult? But the official party line from World Athletics is this is the same timing blocks. Seiko stands by the timing blocks. And this is the same timing blocks that have been used at the last three worlds. They've checked it. Everything's calibrated. This is it. But and I've heard some wild theories on like what could possibly explain it. Someone was trying to say to me, well, the American starters don't normally enforce this 0.010 rule. Like if it's 0.09, they'll kind of make up an excuse and let you go, which I kind of think if it's close enough, they should do that. And so is it possible that these that these all these runners are tying are trying to time it because they know that the Americans normally will get you away and this is in America? I'm like, no. Everybody just doesn't improve their start by 0.02, and they, it's not that they're not that good at it. Like when it's every event, every round, it's got to be the timing system. I saw people saying maybe the shoes, but why would it be different than last year? They had the shoes last year, and someone's like, "Now it was." A, and by the way, I've talked to people with athletics; they've been good behind the scenes. They don't want to be quoted on this, but look. So don't quote them. I'm not quoting them, but I just want to say I. I they, I, I sort of promised I wouldn't bash the system. I'm not bashing the system, but my argument to anyone who's making this argument of, you know, it could be something like the shoes, but this system is supposed to be 100% accurate. And to me, it doesn't really matter. Some people are saying, oh, you should only compare it to the last three worlds. No, I'm willing to compare it to the last 13 worlds because the system is supposed to be accurate. So it shouldn't matter if it's Seiko, Omega, or the, they have a different system for worlds a different one for the Diamond League and a different one for the Olympics. It doesn't matter to me because if you're saying this system's accurate and down to one one thousandth of a second, it has to be accurate, period. So it wouldn't matter that Tokyo was a different. We should have seen these reaction times last year in Tokyo unless you're saying suddenly all of the runners in the world somehow, because they had the same shoes last year. So it doesn't make any sense, the shoes. It has to be the timing system. Somebody was saying perhaps the sound is going out because of gum or something crazy. Okay, this is starting bullshit. They need to get to the bottom of this. But I'm about to call out Seiko because ultimately they're responsible for the timing. Something is off. They need to get the bottom of it. I don't want people floating theories out there that the timer, people are shooting the gun off wrong. Clearly either people can just start before 0.10 and we shouldn't have had this rule, but that would explain why all the times have shifted. So maybe this equipment's more accurate. It's just documenting that runners have been starting more for the time. Okay, then Seiko should get to the bottom of that and say, look, in years past, whoever had the equipment, it wasn't as accurate. People can start faster. But to say, oh, all of a sudden, all these runners in America are just timing the gun or something, there's really no good explanation. No. The shoes kind of make sense. Then Seiko needs to prove it's the shoes. The burden is on Seiko because Listen, they're timing, wanna... and they, they need to pay for the Devin Allen race. The problem want... is this stuff takes time. You, you guys are saying, like, clearly something's amiss, but are you just saying, okay, in the middle of the meet, Yes. Right before the 200 final, we now need to change the threshold to like 0.15 for a full start. To draw 100%. World Athletics has already said that. World Athletics, I believe, John, if you read their statement, did not say 0.1 is an automatic DQ. It said the DQ is at the starter's discretion. Correct or or false? Yes. Meanwhile, these... Robert, you guys... The red, the original statement. They're supposed to like look at the. Supposedly they have a high speed camera to check. So, so supposedly, it's my understanding that they're looking at a high speed camera that shows that he actually moved at 0. 0.099. Which is that possible? I don't know if that's that accurate. But like, I don't want to make an issue about Seiko. Well, 
your argument. I thought originally that the equipment might be better. This is the best equipment. It's actually getting it right. That's what I said. Then Psycho needs to explain that. No, because their argument is this is the exact same equipment. This is the exact same equipment that they've used the last three worlds, which to me undermines it. I thought it actually might be a positive. I don't want to even make it about Seiko. Like, I was thinking perhaps the equipment's better this year, but in years past. But I'm just like, but the athletes are used to it being on a certain level. If you change the standard, then you should move the standard down. I just hope it's not a debacle in the 200. That's all I'm going to say. Enough of this. Let's talk big picture about some of these other events. I mean, Hopefully, it's fifteen hundred. We got to talk about that. That was that's arguably a, the race of the entire meet from look, a distance fan perspective. I woke up today, and this is a, a, a key thing about you know, as the world's going to grow track and fields in America and stuff like this. One of the more popular website articles that we had, I got a guy calling, is we've been doing a daily guide to help you find it on TV. What events are the key events that day? Because it's very hard for the average track fan who's not twenty four seven to know when it's on, etc. Today, I called up my good friend Chris Lear. This is a guy that embedded himself with Alan Webb in his freshman year at Michigan and wrote Running with the Buffaloes. I mean, wrote sub four, the book on Alan Webb. And a couple of years before that, he embedded himself with the University of Colorado cross country team with Adam Goucher and Mark Wetmore and wrote Running with the Buffaloes, cult classic. And he was a 409 miler in high school, one of the top prep guys in the country back in 1992. I said, Hey, Chris, what'd you think of the race? He's like, pissed me off beyond belief. I, I didn't get to watch it. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's the one race I wanted to watch live. And I, I, I turned on the TV and I'm flipping through the channels and I can't find it. And I just turned it off. And I saw it on your website this morning. So this race was not broadcast live on TV in America. It was on the Peacock app, which is hard for people to find. So it's just kind of upsetting. But look, Chris said it best. He's like the three best events, three marquee events. And, and World Athletics and USATF should realize this. You can't treat all events as the same from a marketing standpoint. He's like the three marquee events in track and field are the 100, the 1500, and the marathon. And I agree with him on that. But this race was amazing. We hyped it up. We wanted to know. And Warholm, the boy wonder, the youngest supplement of power in his life. You got sleep last night. There's no excuse for this. You had two hours of sleep last night. But Karsten Warholm... Is not Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I believe they're separate people. Okay, but we've been talking about this. The youngest guy to go sub four in the mile, and he wins the Olympics. Can he do it again? He's run the three forty six this year, but all year we're like, if they don't take it out, is he get vulnerable? Answer: Yes. He still claims that that's not the case, and he just made a few tactical mistakes. But what a race, Jake Whiteman, and you know, basically. What I think happened, we were wondering if the tactics could would, would do him, and he did. Now they've had a day to think about it. Look, if they go to the Diamond League, he's going to beat everybody in a rapid race in Monaco. And I hope we get to see a super fast one. I'm not sure that he's in the shape that he thinks he is. I still think he can win the 5,000, and I'm so excited about that. I've picked him and guy to win the 5,000. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm like, you know, but why do I think he he lost? One, he ran the entire first lap in, extra, in lane two. That's an extra seven meters. Then he foolishly took the lead at 700 meters and ran another lap in the lead. That's one second. So that's basically cost him two seconds right there. One second for the extra seven meters and one second for having to lead a lap and he didn't need to lead. And that's cost him two, two plus seconds. And he's only one second better than everybody in the field so far this year. If you look at the seasonal best times, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. And Robert, the the great Nick Willis has basically agreed with you. He said Jakob ran the first three bends in lane two, 
It's 11 meters of extra distance. And led, then led from 800 out, giving others the slip stream. So that's going with John Kellogg's theory. And he also said Whiteman ran the perfect race. He covered every move, stayed on the rail in every bend of the race, conserving distance. You add those two things together, that's how you get a guy who, if Ingebrigtsen's a 327 guy right now and Whiteman's a 329 guy, that's how a 329 guy beats a 327 guy because he maximizes his energy or he uses the least amount of energy to run 329. Jakob was using a lot more energy running extra distance to also run 329. Oh, and not only that, you know, this is one of the things that we talked about. It's not just the pace. He had those, he had to fight off. He tried to fight off Chariot. So he, not only was he leading, he was also using micro moves. And that's one thing Kyle Merber was saying to us, John, is like those micro moves. Like you can't just look at the splits. You don't have people going up and back and fighting opposition. And that is normally one of the advantages in the front is you can normally kind of control the pace and be more smooth. But he had a he, you said a great, he wrote a great recap, John. Chariot challenged him not once, not twice, but three times. So he had three micro moves in there that also tired him out. So 5,000, though, going to be amazing. I mean, sometimes it's watered down. This time it's a super 5,000. We've got everybody coming back from the 10. We've got him going up from the 1,500. Absolutely must watch on the final day, I think. That's what yeah, I can't, I can't wait for that. But a couple other things on the 1,500 because it's interesting. Jakob, he's... You know, he, he thinks about this stuff a lot. It's his profession. He's pretty analytical. And he was saying, like, I was like, would you ever, would you th still think running from the front's the way to win? He's like, I'm like, do you think you could win a 335 race? He's like, yeah, I could, but it's easier this way. He likes running from the front because it removes a lot of these variables, usually. If you're in the front, you don't have to worry about your positioning because you're already running the shortest distance. You can control things. And he normally thought, if I get to the front, no one's going to try to pass me when I'm running 330 pace. But he was wrong about that. It did happen, and that's why he had to spend extra energy. But when he's not able to measure out his F exactly how he wants and dictate things, then that leaves yourself a little vulnerable. And I also say about Jake Whiteman, this is just like everyone's dream. Like everyone thinks growing up, they're like, man, if I could just get in that world championship or that Olympic final and you've got the defending champ, the big favorite, and he's up there in the lead, but not today. You know, this is my night. I'm going to just try to make this move, throw all my cards on the table, and I'm going to I'm gonna break him. And he did. And I just think, you know, Jake Whiteman is not some scrub. Obviously, he was already a 329 guy. He's got good 800 speed. You know, we listed him in the Let's Run preview as one of the guys who might be able to beat Jakob Ingebrigtsen. And we said that on the podcast as well. But for him to, it's just a dream come true. Like, this is the sort of, this is going to be the Centrowitz race for the next generation of British mile, British milers. But the Centrowitz race, except, I mean, everyone was stunned by it. Even Steve Cram doing the announcing on the BBC because with like 125 to go, he was like talking about how Kerr is going to have to do a lot. But Whiteman looked so good last year in the semis winning it in Tokyo. I thought for sure he was going to medal, or I thought he had a really good shot at medaling. But Weldon said it best earlier. Like he ran for the win. He was just so confident, man. He just put him. I don't think it's a Centrowitz race because people aren't going to complain that it was a slow race. This is a guy that already run 329. Now, Centrowitz had already meddled before. But yeah, I, I guess I, I see what you're saying. But just amazing. It was so fun to watch. So cool. And I feel a little bit for, for Ingerbits in the sense of he's like, most people, silver medal is a career accomplishment. For me, it's like a bummer. And he's kind of angry about it. So. Um, 
I also want to give a hats off. I think there's been some cool moments like Josh Kerr, he celebrated and he just went right to Whiteman and was happy for him. And I just think that, yeah, you know, I thought you were a little bit harsh on Josh last night, John, when you said, you know, he didn't bring it. He was fifth in the Olympics around 330. It's like the second fastest time ever. So I think he brought it. He didn't bring the 327 plus that he said he was going to. Yeah, but he, here's the thing, Robert. He said, I'm like, you know, he's ex he said he's in 327 shape. This race was perfectly set up for someone who is that fit to just do what Whiteman did, draft off them for a while, and then come by and run 328 and win the thing in the home straight. And obviously, it's really tough, but if Josh, if Josh Kerr is as fit as he said he was, that's something he should be able to do. Look, he still did he run bad race? No. Like fifth in the world, that's fine. That's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. But given how much he was hyping himself up, yeah, I think he kind of it was a bit of a letdown. That's one of the main themes. We're talking big themes as we take a step back here for the worlds, in the sense of to me, one of the big themes of the first half of this meet is if you weren't in good form three or six weeks ago, you're probably not going to be in the best form here. Like He's only third of the British trials. Why do we think he's going to medal here? He doesn't. Rye Benjamin's been hurt, hasn't been doing well. Second place. Warholm, hurt, question mark, doesn't medal. Now, the only really exception to that, oh, Emma Coburn, trying to tell herself she's ready to go, not there. Freyrich. Marcel Jacobs. Same thing. Marcel Jacobs, same thing. Now, Laura Muir, hey, you turned it around. You weren't there indoors. Struggled at the beginning of outdoors. You ran pretty damn good. Oh, Stefan Hassan as well. Perfect example. So that's been a big theme with these people. Like, But kudos to these people for not just blowing off the worlds, for showing up. Guys, it's wait, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Look, I do respect all these athletes gutting it out when they're less than 100%, but isn't that what you do when you're a pro athlete? It's the world championships. Like, you're going to show up and give it your shot, like, unless you absolutely. 100% cannot go. This is the only meet that matters for a lot of these athletes the entire year that truly matters. I think most of them, even if they're 80%, are still going to be going, trying to make it. We shouldn't give athletes like applause for showing up at the World Championships. The one I'm curious about, do you guys think Jacobs his management said, hey, it's better just not to run the semis than to get beat? He's Possible, but he didn't look he, he didn't look good in the hundred. Like he, in the first round, it looked like he was gutting it through it. It didn't look comfortable for him. And he might be thinking, I just don't want to risk a, an even more serious injury. So maybe, but with how labored it looked in the first round, I I don't blame him. I don't think and the one I think that he came to Worlds. He wasn't sure what type of fitness was. He's hoping for a miracle. And he looked terrible. He looked off. He didn't look smooth at all. And Warham was the one guy, I thought he looked pretty good in the rounds. And then halfway through that final, I'm like, oh my God, like he's looking great. And then there's just nothing. Then I'm like, wait, how could he do that when he had nothing left there? You know, if you're not fit, I don't know how you can fake it for 200 like that in the hurdles just seems too hard to do, but I don't know. Someone in the comments talking about Shani Miller, we, we, I think they're essentially saying like, oh, she wasn't doing that well this year. And now she looks really good. But I think that's misleading. Was it Rabat? 
John, the race, Diamond League race, she went out really hard in one race and sort of faded at the end. I think that the finishing time was a bit misleading. I think that was her working on the 400. But also I'm curious, it makes no sense for her to give up the 400 this after this year. She needs to become a shorter sprinter when she's older. That's the wrong direction. What, what am I missing? She doesn't have anything left to prove. She'll. This is the one thing she hasn't done. She's won back-to-back world titles. Sorry, back-to-back Olympic titles. She hasn't won worlds. I mean, I'm not really interested in seeing her stick around the in the 400 unless Sydney McLaughlin's going to come up to challenge her. Because what? Uh, wait, so not, you'd rather have her go get her just crushed in the 200? I don't think she. If she focused all full time on the 200, I think she'd be pretty good at it. I don't think it's going to happen. It's more it's more interesting to me than her just dominating everyone in the four hundred. I mean I guess Nancy Hello? might be coming back from her band, but Hello. Have you ever heard of a woman named Alice Felix? She she's famous for running the two hundred every day every time it holds. So what, I mean, what are you talking about? Alice and Felix or, moved or, or, from the two hundred to the four hundred. Why not? But she she well, if you're good at something, why not stay good at it? Like I she, I, I, she didn't to me, she changed events. What point are you trying to make? My point is that I, I, it's, it's hard not to go a podcast without seeing hidden sexism for John. He doesn't want to see the greatest of all time keep dominating her event. Yet he's thrilled that Kipchoge goes to London every year and runs another 203, 204. No, first of all, no, I'm not. I want him to go. I, you think I'd rather have him in London or in Boston or New York? Easily Boston or New York, Robert. No. Look, he, he's, he's just, you run out of storylines. Like Sydney McLaughlin, if she wins Worlds, what's the storyline for her in the 400 hurdles? They, I'm just. I'm not going to be interested in that event if it's just her and she's miles better than everyone else and she's crushing everyone routinely. That is a non-event for me. It's not exciting if that's the case. Seeing the best athletes challenge themselves, that would be more exciting to me than seeing her win by a second or two in the 400 hurdles. The event where the world record has traded back and forth, Robert, is not an exciting event to Jonathan No, 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 it's not being traded. Delilah broke it twice. Sydney has now broken it three times in a row. Delilah is not getting it back. It's Sydney's basically, you know, maybe for the next 15 years. It's not being traded. Sydney is taking over the event. She owns the event. She ran 52-17 in the semis today. That would have been the world record less than three years ago. She ran in the semis, made it look like a joke. I'm not saying, look, I'm not trying to criticize Sydney McLaughlin. I'm saying she's so good she's broken the event. She has removed the drama. It's not interesting to me anymore when she's so much better than everyone else. And I think we'll see that in the final. And after she wins the final, she'll have the Olympic title. She'll have the world title. She'll probably have another world record. She might be sub-51. When you have someone who's running 50-point-something in the 400 hurdles and you know everyone else is struggling to even get to 52 or so you know a little under 52 to me it's just not as exciting anymore i, I, I well then thank god tom brady didn't quit after his second super bowl the, sydney mclaughlin has never won a world title tom brady lost a bunch of super bowls in the middle those right. games were all close sydney mclaughlin's races they're not going to be close anymore john has a point robert if roger federer went through wimbledon and just smoked everyone like six two six two six two like five years in a row at some point you're like this is boring so I understand the point. This will be the second year in a row that she's been on top. This will only be the second year that she's been on top. Let's see her keep doing it. Let's see her add the four hundred. Yeah, but her biggest double. rival, her biggest rival, Dalila Muhammad, is getting old. She's she look. Last year was amazing because Muhammad was right with her. There was drama in the event last year. Muhammad is going to be probably. I mean, she has looked pretty good in the rounds in Eugene, but 
I don't think she's going to have a challenge. If Femke Bowl's coming up, but I don't think Femke Bowl's on the same talent level as Sydney. I am saying what I expect to happen. And okay, maybe you need another year. Maybe you need her to go out and crush everyone in 2023 to be convinced of it. But I'm pretty sure if Sydney just sticks in the hurdles next year, it's going to be her way out in the distance. It's not going to be a competitive event. Well, I'd like to see the first 50 point. Why not go for sub 50? And what I'd really like to sub see is to move. What, what, why, maybe you're too young. Why was Michael Johnson famous? Does anyone remember why he was famous? He pushed himself. He won the 400 and the 200 meter du double at the Olympics, which is a historic double. That is not something like he pushed his limits. He pushed. The That's limits what I he want her to do. So she shouldn't give up the 400 hurdles. She just adds the 400 to it. Okay, she's gonna, okay, I'm fine with that. If she wants to do both, that's fine. But she needs just to stay, stay Michael Johnson did not just stay in the 400 forever. He put I agree with that. If she sticks in the 400 and barely races two times a year, it's boring. I get that. That's a little bit boring to me. And I hate how she never races. Has she even ever done a diamond league in her life? Hardly ever. So I would like her to start doing some diamond leagues, keep the record up. And I would like her. How do you become Marquee? Well, she's already Marquee because NBC is going to play her regardless. But, like, you try to do the double. You do the 400 hurdle, 400 double. That's never been done. And then also you're facing an off thing, Mo, hopefully. And, um. Short uh, Mello Weebo if she sticks around. Yeah. So if all thing Mo and Sydney go to the flat four, that's going to be huge drama. Hell, she can drop the 400 hurdles if that happens. But I want to see all thing Mo go 8 4 and Sydney go 400 H 4. Then you have huge drama and you have. You make them run their other, their, their, their print. You make the 800 and the 400 hurdles first. You make them run their regular event first. You change the damn schedule. And then you have the 400 second and you put it in the Olympics at home. Well, you could do it in Paris, but certainly 2028. And oh my God, that would be much watched television. I hope that the ratings would explode in everybody's television in America. Uh, the government should mandate that you watch that race. That would be exciting. I wanted to push your limits, John. But I think she needs to stick this. I want to see the Moses type streak in here. And well, Moses type streak with how often Sydney races? It's going to take 50 years. Well, she needs to start racing more often. Uh, I, f I saw the comment on Let's Run like, could she get the Moses streak? And I was like, like well, she'll probably never lose. And then I thought about it. She races like three times a year. So she'll be like 100. Well, my math's not that good. She'll be like, what, 50 or something? But she's just. She strikes me more like a beyond Borg. I'm afraid she's going to get bored with this event. I've stated for the record, Femke Bowl will win a world title in her career. I think she probably will as well. Because I, I just don't see Sydney. We, do we think she's just going to stick with this event until she's 30? I find it hard to. I feel like. I feel like she would just move on, or you know, maybe something beyond track. Like I just think she's just so, so good in this event. Is she going to still be motivated? Be trying to push her limits in the same event for eight years when she's accomplished everything in the event already. All right. She's Anything else like from that. worlds that's happened so far? I mean, we had the USA sweep in the hundred, which was pretty awesome with Curly, Marvin Bracian, Trayvon Bromel. We had 10,000 yes. Joshua Cheptegei take down. Salmon Borrega, Grant Fisher. What, Hello. Robert, what do you want to talk about, Robert? We've got the greatest Miler in the history of the world, and his name is not Jakob Embrid, so we haven't even mentioned her name on the podcast. I apologize to people who think we're sexist. This might be for a moment. Faith Kip Yegon, absolutely amazing. I mean, she's absolutely amazing. I said it on the last night's show. At what point do we call her the greatest Miler? Period. 
male or female. I know she would not win a men's race, but what she's done in this event is crazy. She wins again and super fast time. And I really think we'd want to see her go for that world record in Monaco this year. That's the one thing missing on this resume, the CV. It's amazing. Now, we don't talk as much tactics because there aren't real, let's be honest, in the women's races, there aren't, there's not like the Jake Whiteman equivalent of someone who's going to win that race. There aren't as many people capable of winning the race. But I really think Sagay, look, if she wins the five, she's incredibly good. She can't beat Kippy Aiken. I think Sagay ought to try to sit. We, we, we don't contemplate this. I really think she ought to try to sit and beat Kippy again. She tries her front runner, and we know what's going to happen. Now, I do think this is why I picked Sagay to win the 5,000. I thought she gave her a pretty good run. Like, it was hard for her to get by her in, the, like, what, what, 250 to go? Faith had to work for that. And I thought that was harder than normal. And I just think people were not giving enough credit here to how good Kippy Gun is. And I think that Sagay, the next time they race, ought to try to sit on her. Like, I don't know why she keeps doing the same thing over and over, you know, but to well, me, that's a maybe sign. she wants to assure herself of a medal and she knows if she runs 354 she's going to medal if she sits and tries to sit and kick she might not get anything well but yeah but how do we know that Kipigon might not be vulnerable like historically the women's races aren't as tactical as the men's but why doesn't Sagay this is my thought I think people are vulnerable if they have to lead these races unless they're way better than everybody Faith is way better than everybody not named Sagay I don't know that she's three seconds better than Sagay. So if I'm Sagay, she's got a 157 PB. I think Sagay's PB in the 800, someone look him up. Is it better than Kippy Guns? Well, this Robert, Robert, I'm just going to throw this stat out at you in terms of sitting and kicking. Do you know what Faith Kippy Guns' final 800 meters was in the no, 2016 I, Olympic final? No, I do not. It was 157.3. So, <laughs> yes, that's true. That's not a misprint. So, I think that she's going to be pretty good in a tactical race. I do I do accept, like, look, Sagai has tried to drop her, and it hasn't worked. So if you are serious about beating her, you need to either put the onus on Kippy on the lead, or you need to just try to turn it into a sit-and-kick race, try and sit and kick on her. But there's a reason we call Faith Kippy on the GOAT. It's because she not only does she, has she got four global titles, she's won them by running 352. She's won them by running 408. So... That's why I keep it going to the goat. And I'm playing this up, and I question why didn't we talk about this more, the tactics? But I guess, well, I guess you could say, though, this was true with Chariot versus Ingerbertson. The stat that Kipigon is, either depending on how you count it, 12-0 and or 13-0 and against the guy in her life is amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, right? But I'm th- I was just thinking today, I was like, well, wait. Now, maybe there's not someone rabbiting it out. Maybe she's vulnerable. But when you see that stat, it's hard to believe that. But then again, what was Chariot versus Ingebrigtsen heading into the Olympics last year? 13-0, I think, for Timothy. Really? It was 12-0 or 13-0. That was the first time oh. Jakob ever beat him. So it's now 11-2. Well, 13-4. 13-4. All this year. All since Tokyo. So I'm just I'm looking back at this 2016 Olympic re- recap. I mean, my God, is Faith Kippy on incredible? This was six years ago. So before her, she had a kid. She had she won the Olympics and a Worlds before her kid, and now she's won an Olympics and a Worlds after her kid. But from 600 to 200 meters to go, 
She split a 55-9. That's just it's a ridiculous speed. I mean, How she's much so, did she so win by? She won by more than a second. She re- she ran 408-92. Kenzebe DeBarbo was second, 410-27. Jay Simpson third, 410-53. Yeah, and Sagazi, 100 PB is 157.52. That's why I read something that's, that, that Kippy Gunn said she wanted to double. She was contemplating this year. Now, I don't know if that meant at Worlds or if it meant like Commonwealth. I assumed it meant Worlds. But I don't think she'd be – I mean, she's run some 800s this year, and she actually she lost that other Kenyan. So oh, it's weird. All right. We got a topic here, Daniel Black, Lyles versus Knight in Showdown. I mean, this is the marquee race of the second half of the championships. It's happening tomorrow night, Thursday night in Eugene. I think we should unload some takes on this. Who do we think is going to win? You know, Noah Lyles, I mean, he beat Knighton at USA's, and then in the semifinals on Tuesday, he runs 19.62, which is the winning time from the Olympics last year. So, I, I don't know. Is, is there any way that guy loses? But also, he had a 1.1 wind, and Knighton runs 19.77 in the semifinals, and he eased up at the end. And we've also seen sometimes, you know, I remember the 2016 Olympics, DeGrasse and Bolt, they went so hard in the semis, they ran super fast, but they actually ran slower in the final. And this time they have a day of rest in between the semis and the final. But who are you guys picking? Knighton or Lyles or... Could it possibly be anyone else? No, it can't. I was shocked like Fred Curley was getting odds. But it's one of those two for sure. I guess my question is, so in some of the betting markets, Lyles was plus over 150, which I think means like... Lyles? No, he wasn't. Lyles has been the favorite all time. Knighton. Excuse me, you got it backwards, which means like 40% to win. And I was like, this is the, you know, I don't know if he's going to win, but I'm like, this is your bet. You're going to get such a good return. This is the bet to take. He's now dropped about plus 130. I can compute the odds here in a second. And I'm angry I didn't bet him at those. I'm still not convinced he's going to win. Like Noah Lyles is very good. But then I'm like, wait, why why is he out here posturing in the semis? It's unnecessary. So is he going to waste his energy? But my only question mark with Knighton I have now is, I'm like, wait, he blasted this time in LSU. Now, I'm not sure I trust all these timing equipments anymore. After seeing this Seiko false start stuff, I don't know why we trust all this stuff to begin with. But anyway, that's one question. But maybe a thousand is very different than like a couple hundreds. But because if what if it's 1953, still really fast. So I guess let me ignore I said that. But then he gets beat at USA's. And he hasn't run quite as fast here yet. So it could be afterwards where I go, okay, he peaked too early. That's my one question mark, because now I want to pull the p- trigger on a bet on him. I, I still think he wins, but I, there's also this second storyline in my head of like, oh, he's 18, he peaked some point in May. We never saw it, probably his peak, actually. I think that's my biggest fear. If you're backing Knight, which I am for, you know, in this may in this race, I picked him at the start of the year. I'm still gonna predict him, but yeah, he ran 19.49. But we've seen what? this happen before. Michael Norman ran 43.4 back in April 2019, and he was not 
the same by the world championships. So yeah, Rob, coming what in, do you think? Coming in, I wanted to bet Knighton. That for sure. I mean, USA's, I was like, that doesn't bother me. Knighton's the future, blah, blah, blah. Watching these times, and I was going to bet big money on Knighton. I was getting it at plus 150. It was like, that's a, I was going to put $100, but I didn't do it. So, but I, yeah, the daddy peaked too early. And it reminds me that I said, as I said on the, on the radio station today, when some, some guy asked me, after we talked to Devin Allen, he asked me about this. I said, well, so it took Bolt a while. Everyone knew Bolt was the future, but it took me a while to actually pull off that first world title. But I had convinced myself before hearing y'all talk that, no, Lyles was the favorite. He was going to win now. Night, we're, we're a year or two away. But while y'all were just talking, I was looking up his stats. USA's, it was the same thing. Lyles was running much faster in the prelims and the semis. And the final, Niles almost beat him. Niles really brought it down a lot. Like by 0.28, I think, or something from the semis. So go back and look at those splits. If you do that... You mean Knighton brought it down a lot, and Knighton almost beat him, right? Yeah, Knighton brought it down a lot. So, Walden says this, why is Noah posturing a lot? I'm like, oh, Noah, Noah's the man. This, You know what this is reminding me of exactly? This is reminding me of Jake Whiteman and Josh Kerr in the men's 1500. So I'm back on the Knighton bandwagon. Noah Lyles is Curry's talking a big game. Jake Whiteman is Knighton. He's going through the mix zone. We're not even talking to him. It's kind of weird, John. Neither one, you or I, were busy in there. I didn't talk to Whiteman. He's kind of understated, right? I should have asked him, like, hey, how are you feeling? Would he have just played the cards? Did anyone talk to him in the mix zone? And these are the first or second round. Did some other magazine talk to him? I I did not. I don't I didn't see any interviews with anyone else, but Maybe he's the British, the British press. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's the British champ. Everyone's on Kerr though, because he won the medal last year. So uh, I talked myself into good thinking. Lyles is going to do it. He seems happier. Maybe he's out the antidepressants. Did the antidepressants last year slow him down? This is fascinating though. This is why we're going to have it. It's much watch television tomorrow night. The other thing we need to talk about is look the women's. 15 the women's five is going to be excited, but the, the other distance of final the men's 5,000. We, we said a little bit, but chapter guys pulled it no, off. No, 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 no. We got to stay on this race. As somebody's pointed out here on the game, the lane draws are might decide this. Arian Knighton is in three. Why? How does this happen? Noah Lyles is in six. You'd much rather be six. And John. Well, since you're in Eugene, of course, I'll put this on you. We need to find out exactly how the lane draws are done because it's bullshit. Three guys, one heats. You should be at like four, five, and six. Five, six, and seven. You should actually, but this comes back to you. They, they should let you pick your lane and they should go off the winning time in the heats. Okay. Agreed. The fastest heat winner gets first choice. Second fastest heat winner gets second choice. Third fastest heat winner gets third choice. And then you go by times. Wait, who gets the first choice? Right. The fastest, the fastest winner. guy. Sorry, fastest semifinal winner. No, because I don't think you necessarily want to go first. You yes, you do. You get want. your preferred lane. Fine. No, no. If Robert, fine, then we can change it. If people actually some game theory thing would rather be second, like Lyles picks. Lyles would take seven. That's his favorite lane. Let's say Knighton picks six, or you know, somebody picks seven. So you want to be on the outside? You pick eight or six. Or who knows? I assume you want to go first, but you could game it around. But like, I don't want this thing decided. Obviously, he's in lane one, which they go to slower times. But three does not seem to be a desired lane. He's tall. What's the best thing about Arian Knighton in the two hundred? His turn. Right now, he's got a tighter turn to navigate. 
This needs to be redrawn. Sense. I don't get this, so I think this could decide it. This needs to be redrawn. This is a travesty. Look, I think you would want to pick second if you had the choice because the other person picks their preferred lane and then you get to pick whether you want to be on their outside or their inside if you have the fastest time. I agree. They should let them pick the lane and they should let them pick the lane at the start line. Add drama. Nobody knows what it is. You go up and you announce lane six. Oh, it'd be amazing. No, that's not, that's not drama. No one gives a shit about that. Come on, Robert. That's just it's- adding unnecessary... John, left to the broadcast. PR is not your thing. John doesn't want to see Grant Hallway racing you. I mean, John doesn't, still doesn't want to see Devin Allen racing Eugene. No, be I'm, I don't, I, I'm saying it won't happen. Not that I wouldn't watch it. Uh, I think I saw this on Twitter too. Tyson saying race take. Sometimes I think spills a little conspiratorial. Says it has something to do with the TV and the way the cameras will pan for the intros. I'm going to try to find this tweet, but I think this is bullshit. I'll just throw that out. Yeah, I don't. There. I don't buy that. Look, you're supposed to have the three heat winners. Or maybe they consider the six auto qualifiers the same. There's no way in hell that if you win your heat, you should be in lane three. This is a travesty. This is a joke. John, before you go to bed, you need to write World Athletics and ask him about that. Okay. What a joke. So, the, but. Do we need to talk about the 5,000? That's also coming up for the regular subscribers or just, hey, join the supporters club. You can talk about, we'll, we'll have a daily podcast. As Weldon said, do $9 for the month if you're too cheap to pay for the member yearly thing. Buy a shoe and we can talk about that because we've almost gone for two hours. What else do we, do you always want to, do you want to talk about that? I'd rather talk about it later in the week. I mean, my first, my, I mean, my main take is, I, it's kind of surprising to me though because I was like, oh, we're going to have Jakob's going to win the 15 and then Borega's going to win the 5k and we get them both sorry Borega's going to win the 10k and we're going to get them both in the 5k and actually Jakob didn't win the 15 and Borega didn't win it though we've still got Cheptegei who won the 10k so we've got Cheptegei we got Borega I think Borega can still win I think Berhu Aragawi can still win even though neither of the Ethiopians looked that great in the 10k and then you've got Ingebrigtsen who I can't think could win Mukhtar Edris the two-time defending world champion I'm not counting him out either. It's going to be fantastic. I don't know. I But I think my main take is I think Joshua Cheptegei is the favorite now. What say you? Yes, he won a tactical 10K. His speed is better than we think. He won the 5,000 last year. Nobody saw that coming after losing the 10. He's pretty damn good at the, at the 5,000. So I, I've, I've picked Warham though officially, but you know, I'm just back to this 200. I really think this is bad for Knighton. He, I was watching his, uh, whatever, what lane was he in the semi yesterday? He was running way on the outside of the lane. He was having trouble staying in the lane, and I don't think he was even in lane three there. So I've put the tweet on the screen. There, race no TV. True. The lane draws are due to the quote TV. Certain athletes will be in certain lanes because of the cameras to pan before the races. So Noah gets lane six, Kenny lane five, all for TV. I'm not buying that, but. Also, if you scroll down, he says Knighton's run 18.9 and Lyle's 19.4. He said Lyle's first. He said Lyle's ready to run 19.4. And then he says Knighton, 18.9. I assume there's a little hyperbole there, but I'm going to go with his order of events that he thinks that's who's going to win. But back to this 5K, I I don't know. Somehow in my mind, I still think Guy can't kick. I don't know how he won the 5K last year, but... It's going to be great, man. It's supposed to be hot, though, right, John? I think so. The t- 5K, is that the final night, or is it is it Saturday or Sunday? I need to check the schedule here. It's But, yeah, heat waves coming to Eugene. It was 90. Oh, actually, 
Oh, it won't be too, too bad. So the 5K final is on Sunday, the 24th. Let's run Founders Day. High of 89 degrees. The race goes off at 6.05. No, sorry, not 6.05. Yes, 6.05 p.m. Pacific time. So, yeah, it'll be to the, the mid to high 80s and probably kind of sunny. It won't, you know, won't be nice to run a 5K in. That's about as hot as you can get for outdoor. Well, I guess maybe not outdoor worlds, but... 85 degrees in the sun. That plays right in Jakob Ingebrigtsen's. Although he's a bigger guy, though. Plays into his hands? What? He's going to say... Robert, he's from it. Norway. Oh, I was going to say it slows it down. It makes it the kicker's race. But he's oh, a big point. dude. I don't think big guy's doing well in the heat. So that's... He's just... a big guy from a Nordic country. Yeah. I think get... This I is think the wild card. Favors. Running well in heat is completely different than running well in regular weather. You don't have any idea what's going to happen now. Well, I'm excited, John. I will beat the world championships hopefully in two days. And we've done this a couple nights, but I, I still haven't gotten a good sense. Like when they're introducing Emma Coburn, are the crowd going nuts? You don't get any of that. It just seems like any other meet to me. Like, is there a big U.S. presence in the fans? Is it like Hayward? You know, they used to they get behind the athletes at the Olympic trials, and. My also one takeaway is when trials were announced for for Eugene, there was the world's excuse me was announced for Eugene. There was this huge, it's kind of it was controversial because it's such a small town. And all I remember saying to some of these Brits is, well, "I know one thing: the fans will come out and pack that place. That's what they always do in Hayward." And I was thinking thirty thousand fans because I, I, according to official figures, we used to get twenty thousand for Olympic trials. Now it's fifteen thousand. It's not full every night, but. TV, I can't tell if it's just not loud because they're not bleeding the mic crowd through or what the deal is, but a little more perspective, please, on the ambiance. No, it's definitely loud. When they introduced Emma Coburn on the start line, the place erupted. It was, you know, the atmosphere has been good, especially when Americans are doing well on the track, which they mostly have this week. Yeah, it's, look, I think what we're learning, first of all, the official attendance numbers pumped out by Tracktown USA or whoever was in charge for the last decade, I think they were totally inflated the whole time. And now we're finally getting... They, it's weird. They send out the total... like, What is the number that they, they send out? Day five ticketed persons total. That's what they send out to the media advisory. So, And that was... FYI, was 11,865. And that was what that was for yesterday, which is about in line because look, you figure there's about 14,000 seats in the stadium, including the temporary stands. Not all of them were filled, but some of the people who were there are not ticketed their credit or something like that. So that sounds about right. I think it's just that finally telling the truth about it. But if you have 11,000 fans who roll into it, you can get a good atmosphere. Yeah, the atmosphere has been good. That's just embarrassing, though. That's ju just also big picture. I think we're taking these worlds. This wasn't. It was a false premise we had that these things were going to like save track and field in America. Blah blah blah. Track is a niche sport. We got to keep working hard day in day out, make it more entertaining. Not have this stupid shit get in the way. Make stuff as entertaining as possible because the fact we're only getting that there's not a huge demand for fifty thousand fans every night just shows kind of where our sport is in the bigger ecosystem. Also, if the opportunity was to present stuff in the U.S., they should have said, okay, NBC, you get the meat. It's on It's on TV every single night. I mean, 
probably when it was awarded streaming really wasn't even a concept, but we're giving you the thing, but we want primetime coverage uh, available to the most eyeballs because everything's been rearranged from TV. And yet they're, they dumped two pretty high fo- profile nights on the Peacock streaming service. That's not NBC trying to promote track and field. They had wrestling on instead of this, which is embarrassing. That's NBC trying to protect its bottom line, trying to get people to sign up for Peacock. I well, I just don't think NBC views it as their job to promote the sport. I don't think they really care about broadcasting it all that much. I think they well, do. I, they, I think they want the Olympics and what comes along with the Olympics is track and field and that sort of thing. So they take it, but I don't think they push it as hard as they, you know, they push the Olympics super hard and everyone watches it, but track and field in general like why why the like why the hell wouldn't it be on cnbc or usa network usa network was just showing law and order svu last night why would you not show one of the best nights of the entire world championships live on usa as opposed to streaming on peacock it doesn't make sense to me i think they want to force people to sign up for peacock this is not like you know i guess premier league football is the same thing but like do you think there's enough track fans that they think, oh, here's our strategy for building our subscription service is we're going to force the small amount of track fans in this country, the most ni- one of the most niche sports we have, to sign up for our subscription service, and that's how we'll br- grow the platform, is people will sign up to watch track because there's tons of track fans and we'll build our subscriber base that way. I don't think so. I think the better way if you're going to build this sport is you don't put it behind a paywall, you put it on TV... And then maybe you institute the paywall later. Like, look, I think Peacock's a pretty a bargain. I think $5 a month for a lot of... You get a decent amount of high-level track and field in the summer. It's a pretty fair deal. But you're going to get fewer viewers. You know, if you're telling me... If you want to expose the sport, you need to put it on network TV. Look, it's disappointing to me that the attendance is significantly less than the Olympic trials. When did Ben Lanana first put the trials in Eugene? What year was that? 2008. So... There's just no way around it. Now, part of that's just the world's changed. Everything's on TV. I mean, our, our, the guy, the Airbnb owner had a good, he's like, I said, what's your theory? He said, I could talk forever about that. Maybe we should have him on the show. He said, he said, uh, they make it impossible to buy a season ticket. I had two people tell me, the lady, the girl on the plane, a 25-year-old who ran one season of high school cross country, wanted to buy all season pass. She wanted to buy, an, I mean, all sessions to Worlds. She's like, it's not possible. So she's willing to spend thousands of dollars, but she had to go session by session to buy the tickets. And then, the owner of the house said the same thing. He said, my friend wanted to buy, oh, they used to let you buy a season pass to every home, every track meet in Eugene. He's like, my friend wanted to do it. They said it was impossible to do. He finally did it, but now he's pissed because they really, he realizes they were charging them $200 a ticket when the face value is only $100 a ticket. So they make it hard for people to buy the tickets. It's very expensive. I talked to another guy who called a line today for four Let's Run. He said, I went to USA's because not, not Worlds. Most people did the opposite. He's like, I went to USA, not Worlds because it was significantly cheaper. The tickets are pretty expensive. So I think they thought they'd have huge demand. They put the ticket pricing high enough and there's COVID and people have been to so many Eugene meets. People are tired of going to Eugene. I don't know. I think it's the pricing maybe. But all, oh, no, I definitely but, think the price. I've he- I've had multiple people in my Twitter replies when I've tweeted out these attendance pictures. I said, hey, it's the hundred men's 100 meter final. It's still not 100% full. They're just like, do you know how much it costs to buy tickets to this session? I think they estimated that because it was such a small stadium, the demand would outstrip the supply. And also, because it's such a small stadium, they need to charge it higher to make the sort of revenue that they would typically make from a bigger stadium. And 
the prices are high and yep. they sold a bunch of tickets, but not all of them. I not all. I think all. that's why. Because I, I thought that it'd easily be 30,000. And, you know, he also did say, the owner of the Airbnb said, TV has gotten so good. I mean, that's true. Like when I'm, when we, well, 2008, I'm sure every, I know for a fact, every part of the USA meet was not even on TV, let alone streaming because Craig Masbach let us do a talk show while never doing, I don't know if it's trials, but one of those US championships, we were broadcasting the 10,000 on the internet like this right now would be live. We were the only ones broadcasting it. There was no flash results live, but TV, like when I'm in the stadium up in the stands, sometimes I'm actually watching the monitor that's in front of us in the press area because you can see stuff closer up than you can in the stands. All right, is that going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast? You know, it's almost 2.30 a.m. on the East Coast. I applaud you guys. That I mean, I've been out here on the West Coast. I'm adapted to the time. It's not really a struggle, but you guys, you've been pulling very I, late nights back and then. I, 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 get, I got I a problem, you. though. I think I have to roll around tomorrow like, oh, gosh, I had to produce this podcast. And my daughter's still in the hospital. I'm supposed to go probably pick him up like pretty early in the morning. <laughs> I've still not recovered from my lack of sleep. I'm getting up there in age, John. I would like to apologize to everyone. I think tomorrow I'll finally be caught up in sleep. I said, I called Jocker Bingerbritson probably at least 10 times on this podcast, the wrong name, and it upset Jonathan. And I started screaming at Jonathan. But hey, podcast uh, listeners. Apology accepted. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm sorry I corrected you so many times. Po- I over po- when everyone knew what you were saying. But and that's I also, I feel it's the good news is, the podcast is to, you know, we'll, correct people. Good news is probably a little more overtalk this podcast. I'm not editing that out. That's but Robert, I'll cut out the uh, the big yelling. Supporters Club members, if you really want to hear, email me. But when you listen to this, this podcast tomorrow, it'll be the only way to listen. It'll be gone. Okay, All right, you. everybody. Bye. That's my gift Bye. to Robert because his birthday's coming up. That's my birthday present to you, Robert. Well, let but, people know what happened. I was calling Ian Branson Warholm repeatedly, and John got mad. And then for some reason, Weldon sided with John, even though it was just like a typo, verbal typo. I don't like it when we fight either, Robert. I'm glad we can kiss and make up here. Yeah.